Man, you know what? Come on. While not every question we have is answered in scripture, all of the most important questions are in fact answered. And rather than being concerned with how many will be saved, an issue that we have no control over and are not ultimately responsible for managing, Jesus makes sure that we know how to be saved and that we take action quickly. In this week's sermon, Kelly preached on Luke 13, 22 to 30, where Jesus talks about the narrow door in relation to how many are saved. It can be a difficult lesson for some. So today, we'll be discussing this topic and more. Stay tuned from Glen Allen Bible Church. I'm Matt Marone. I'm John Vanderbilt. I'm Beth Moss. And I'm Kelly Brady. And this is episode number 186 of The Next Level. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Do you really think it can be a difficult topic? Yes. For sure, because of where it leads. To heaven? <laughs> <laughs> or to telling so people how are you they guys might doing? be wrong. <laughs> it's good to see you guys good, today. Yeah. It's nice. How about that snow? That's why I yeah. said for some. It yeah. can be a difficult topic for some. We're recording on Tuesday morning in the blizzard of 2021. The did two guys, inches of snow. How many times did you shovel? I'm going to guess, just because I know you, I'm guessing you shoveled four times. I did. Yes. How many? Wow. Matt Wait, has not real? shoveled yet. No, I shoveled <laughs> once. That's I why shoveled. I'm stinky right now. I shoveled once, he says. I and thought Beth. you would peg us as the ones that didn't shovel. No, <laughs> you got you. You have lots of young people we that did. can help. Yeah, yeah but no, actually, Dan and I went out and shoveled. Together? That's Together nice. with the dog. It was very cute. I shoveled three times. I have a hard time with people that don't know how to shovel. It's I'm judgmental straight oh. up in my neighborhood when people don't know how to shovel. You mean they don't know how or they don't? Yeah, they don't know how. What they does that do mean? it inefficiently oh. and not good. You know? How do you want people to you? shovel? No. It bothers me a lot. <laughs> what do you expect of people? Are you an angry A lot man, more. John? I expect, hey, you live in a, sto- a snowy environment. Let's do this the best we can. Let's so be like, efficient. Do the sidewalks? I don't know. I, I grew up where we got so much snow. My dad used to wake me up like every morning in the winter and I'd have to go shovel. So you had to be good at it. We didn't have a snowblower. We got a snowblower when we left the house. My dad bought a brand new. Of course mm-hmm. he did. Good, just to as as stick it to you. Did you yeah. get paid or was it just something you had no, to do? No, it was no, part of the deal, man. that's part of being the family. That was part of do the you deal. Want to eat? We, had, <laughs> we had this big curvy driveway up a hill too. And yeah, it was a lot of shoveling. Okay. Pushers and lifters. What, so, what did you want to be that morning? So wait, if you shoveled four times, at what time did you start? Early. I mean, I... You like, went, like, you went you out just like when we got that first little pause, didn't you? Like after well, three quarters of an sure. inch? I have a... Uh, I think it's... I've got a, a blade that's three feet wide. So you just push Your it off. Your shovel all. is massive. It is. And so I... And I've got a long driveway, so I... I angle the blade and run down the driveway with it and just, I can do it in four passes. Wow. That's pretty good. That's that's good. Mm -hmm. The running is the best part. I run down the driveway. See, I'd like to watch that. The people people that shovel the edge first, like along their grass or their driveway, and then push onto that, and then, yeah. Oh, no. Uh, Maybe my neighborhood is just full of morons. I don't know. They do what? They shovel instead the edge of going the sides, instead of going go down, down, down the middle. middle. Go down the middle. And then push to the yeah, Hello, yeah, you gotta yeah. go down Normal the middle. Normal people. Glad uh-huh. I'm in the right. Okay. You go to the left. Yeah. From the middle. Yeah, you go right. in the middle, clear, and then mm-hmm. push, push, lift, lift, push, push, lift, lift. <laughs> yeah. And Not hard. Very important. Very important lesson. Because honestly, like since we moved out here, this was the first time I had been shoveling driveways because we never had a driveway mm-hmm. before that, right? So uh, aside from when I was a kid. But important lesson clear the car off. Before oh, yeah. you, uh-huh. hello, show. thank yeah. you. Yeah, I mean like, it's not hard. I, well, I didn't do that the very first time when we moved out here and we had a big I'm snow. Sorry. And I, I should have coached I was you like, a little bit. Oh. You know what happened to me though today at the end of it all, and which I didn't do it four times. I did it once, so it was very heavy, a lot of snow. And just as I was finishing, the plow, these dudes drive by mm-hmm. in a in a pickup truck with with a uh, plow on the front. And like three, there was three guys sitting in in the cab, and three snowblowers in the back. They just drove right by. I mean, clearly they're out, like you know, looking for money. How much do you think they charge? Twenty bucks for Dude, your driveway. Dude, we used to 20? make when really? I was at I would think thirty. When I was at Wheaton, we'd go out. We'd make bank shoveling, yep. going door to door. Hey, we're Wheaton college students. We're looking to make a little bit of money to pay for college. Would you be interested in having to shovel your driveway? 
Because I feel like 20 is a Matt no-brainer. Wood, John. Are you <laughs> Yeah. I'd, man, it I, depended. I'm telling you right now, we, we would go into like over Donata, those mm, big, huge houses yeah. over there. And it just depended on who came to the door. Yeah. Mm. Well, while we we'll were We'll do gone. it for 60 bucks. No problem. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. We, Before your husband gets oh, home? Yeah, exactly. He'll love it coming home to a clean driveway. While we were gone a few weeks ago and it snowed. Uh, our neighbor across the street, not Kelly, but our neighbor across the street who with a snowblower <laughs> snowblowed our driveway. Kelly texted me. He nice. was like, you know, so-and-so is out snowblowing your driveway right now, oh, which nice. is incredible for many reasons. So today Wait, I, I, I really I, pushed it to the neighbor. last minute. Can I go minute, back to your pushing it, it down the driveway, though? Are you a guy that pushes it into the street? No. Okay. Whew. You know, that I would have sent John whoa. over the edge. I grew up in Texas. I did that for a little while until my wife corrected me. The Wisconsin Oh, way girl. to go, Sherry. Yeah. The Midwest. Yeah. You're not Midwest allowed to do that. Yeah, exactly. You can't do that. There's so many people that doing? fire up that snowblower and go, <laughs> and then blow like a big snowbank in the middle of the road. Like, oh, the plows will get that. No. Well, and the truth is the plow just pushes it right back into your driveway. Exactly. Yep. Exactly, Kelly. I'm so happy about this right now. <laughs> I'm not. So, uh, uh, I promised. Okay, we that talked about this I way promised too much. I would Sorry. not talk about uh, the fact that the Chiefs are going to the second Super Bowl in a row, Thank you. third AFC Championship in a row. Let's get and to those questions. They have How about uh, the greatest athlete that's ever stepped on the field? Oh, in that's gross. Human history. <laughs> that's gross. Uh, so let's talk about Sunday uh, worship and uh, service. Yeah, and how things how go. go? Yeah, it's a fun band. A lot of energy. Yeah. And I thought Sherry did a fantastic job. Yeah. Leading. She prayed wow. during an instrumental break. I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Felt Good very morning. Spirit-filled. Busy, full. Yeah. Yeah, children's full ministries. For, co- for COVID, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Children's ministry is pretty full. Yeah. Are you guys okay with volunteers? The new times, or did it work? The new times did help uh, a little bit. We were able to do uh, a better job of having more kids in children's ministry. So it's the space downstairs and the social distancing required that actually is limiting our overall attendance. And they're they're working so hard in kids' ministry to facilitate attendance. So Mm -hmm. we're doing our best. Yeah, new new times. The real miracle was a fifty-five minute service. That was the miracle. The real miracle, (laughs) the the recording of your sermon, which was third service. That's what went up online. Was forty-two minutes long. (laughs) It was a fifty-five minute service. (laughs) You did you do 42 minutes of it. <laughs> 42 minutes? So you didn't pre-record that sermon? You took the, the live one, preaching? They've started taking the live for, oh, the, I could. for the podcast, like for the uh, just the oh, audio. Oh, the audio. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. I watched it on YouTube, and yeah, it looked like it was pre-recorded. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the... the yeah, the YouTube video is different than mm-hmm. what we... That's still Thursday. ...we put up as the... Because some people listen to just the audio on the... on We have a podcast stream of just sermons and that that's okay. the, the live recording it's a lot of moving parts you guys are managing it, it's it is doing well all right well um in fact the first question has to do with worship so let's jump in it oh, great all right so let's go to the first question really great sermons lately i love the fire and passion from the pulpit i really miss the ability to be able to respond and worship at the end of the sermon have you considered adding songs back on at the end and spacing out the service more. We're we, certainly they didn't. It. They didn't really say, I love the fire and passion. Oh, they Kelly did. He added, added that. that he totally added that. I saw him add it. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just answer the question? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> don't edit. Have you people. felt That's... like there's been fire and passion from oh, the Don't silence the people, John. <laughs> Let them say what they want to say. So... Back in all, the whole COVID, how do we respond and what can we do and can't do, there was a lot of writing coming out by people explaining that to vocalize in song creates a vapor that's different when you simply speak. That there are two types of vapors being created there. And the, when you, the vapor that comes out of your mouth when you speak is heavier. It doesn't linger in the air as long. The vapors that you make when you sing are lighter, and they just float around in the air. That's why some of the uh, the choirs of the early days of COVID, when churches were having choir practice, the hot spots were in these choirs. People standing around in each other's uh, excellent, you know, they're what they're exhaust basically. So we made they're it light this, vapors. He said excrement. <laughs> I was like, what? what kind of choir is that? 
<laughs> or it could have been from the community salsa dip. <laughs> <laughs> so we we made a decision to do all the singing up front and then keep people, um, and then people would be seated for the sermon and not to do a song at the end because if you do a song at the end and then everybody walks through each other's vapor fields. Am I explaining that right? No, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the best practice recommendations are to have your singing begin at the front of the service when everybody is seated or everybody's in the room. And soon and, to be seated. And soon to be seated and then not do anything that near gives the, the that gives the well you're singing mask but so anything that escaped from the mask would eventually fall in and around the people who had who had created the vapors rather than people walking through other people's um, vapor fields so have you guys kicked around at all doing like i don't know different more com- contemplative like at the end of the service where maybe you like play a song and encourage people oh, to not sing but like spend idea. time praying or something that's a but great idea just so thank you a reflective moment a reflective moment yeah but idea. but i mean if you explain the why like here's why we're not gonna sing and we would encourage you to, to mm-hmm. please not sing but here's what we want to do so you have time to to reflect and respond pray that people would sing that's the thing people probably would think, would I mean, sing like if we did that every week, uh-huh. at some point I think people Eventually. would probably be singing. Not to be I defiant, right. but just yeah. Like. yeah. That's the problem. But I think you're right. But but we could do silent moments. We could do scripture reading. Um, yeah, bobbing for apples. We could try other things. <laughs> prayer. Yeah, directed prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. It's a good. It's a good question yeah. because the service orders and stuff have changed and been very much. The same every single yeah, week. Yeah, it feels week, a little which cookie is, cutter. Which is, yeah. if you're here every single week, I can, I get where it can yeah. feel like, hey, could we totally? And we've cut back on the number of songs. Yeah, I mean, we're only spending, mm-hmm. we're spending less than 15 minutes in song, so yeah. only yeah. doing three. So, mm-hmm. yeah, looking forward to getting back to five sometimes. Frankly, we've all been we've one of the reasons we've limited the elements. <laughs> uh, you know, communion's different now, and is we're. We're wanting to make sure that we're gathering safely. Mm-hmm. And so we're limiting what we do when we're together just to guard against anything odd or different. And mm-hmm. so, but I do think a, a time is coming where we could try some new elements in the worship service. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to the next question. Kelly, in Sunday's sermon, you mentioned that you think about how to parent your kids through times like this. What goes through your mind besides the larger principles that you unpacked in the sermon? We have elementary age kids, but also want to prepare for helping them through future stages as well. I don't remember saying anything about parenting on Sunday. Uh, I don't either. I, I was... don't. I'm sure it wasn't in the online. I, I'm, this person was, I'm guessing, in in Sunday morning service. Uh, so um, I'm bummed that I don't exactly remember what I said. Maybe um, it was from the previous week. Something like that. Mm. I, don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but my thought here is I, I do have a, a practice of um, taking current events and, and trying to dialogue on those current events with my kids. And generally, my posture is how can I make God's word practical on what's going on in popular culture, current events? So, for example, so that that's always my kind of my heart. What, what about, what is said in God's word that can be instructive on whatever's going on in popular culture? So my kids are all adult age and they were home for COVID from college early. And so there was a lot of talk in my home. I'm going to give some examples. A lot of talk in my home about how much uh, the political environment is full of friction. No one is, there's very little healthy discourse where we're actually hearing each other and, and there was riots, right? Um, and so the loss of civil discourse, one of the things I have said to my kids countless times is we have nothing to fear from the truth. It's sometimes in, and what I mean by that is, you know, I'll talk about the person of truth who is Jesus. So I'm just trying to give a flavor for kind of my posture with my kids in the riots, in the civil discourse, which is really aggressive these days, and people are having trouble hearing each other politically, um, I, I try to drive home the fact that the truth, if we can find it, will serve us all. Let's be, let's be more patient with each other, more kind with each other. 
And then I, I also talk about there's a there's a, a high there, there's a realization that Christians are out of step with popular culture. Uh, President Biden has signed some executive orders that are that are really contrary to the biblical worldview, generally speaking. And he's done that in the first couple of weeks of his leadership. So what I would say to my kids on things like that is we're to be good citizens even, even when living in exile. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29 talks about how, on behalf of God, he tells them how they're to live it while they're in exile. And it, it basically comes down to bloom where you're planted. Mm. And so I'll talk to my kids about it's clear the biblical worldview and Christians are out of step with popular culture. But that doesn't mean we're against culture. And I think a lot of Christians are taking that. Jeremiah verses, uh, chapter 29, verses 4 to 7, really has a mentality of it's, it's God's people for popular culture, not against it. It's we're to live in a way that blesses the popular culture. Um, so that just gives you a, a, a kind of my posture. And, and there are a lot of politicians that, you know, we disagree with. And I'll, I'll talk about, you know, from God's word in, in uh, Timothy, how we're to be praying for our leaders. So I just try to constantly bring God's word to bear on popular. I used to sit down at the, the dinner table and I'd get out my smartphone and I would thumb through USA Today just looking for, hey, what do you all think about this? And we would try to discuss popular stuff, stuff going on. And I would do my best to bring God's word to bear on it. What do you all do? Well, Kelly, I was just going to say, I remember when my kids were, were young, and I still have some elementary age kids, but um, you were talking about this biblical worldview sort of. Well, this You're talking about heavy stuff, right? You're talking about politics and things that little kids might yeah. not quite grasp. But even just bringing that biblical perspective into everyday stuff, um, media and advertising, things that you see that you can point to, hey, how, how does what we're seeing in the <laughs> media right now differ from what God's design is or what God yeah. might tell us to do? And then also incorporating a, a culture of prayer. So having it be a normal thing that you pray, not just at mealtime or bedtime, but I had a little conflict with my friend. Well, let's pray about that. Mm. Or I've got a test I'm nervous about. Let's pray about that. Mm. Um, so that it's just normal to be talking about God and God in our lives and letting our kids see us be vulnerable and things that we're learning or struggling with. Those are some great things that we've learned along the way too. You talk about little kids, you know, little kids, they're, they're understanding COVID and its realities. Mm -hmm. And I would talk about how um, it's not God's desire that we would be sick. Although, you know, sickness is a part of this world. The good news of the gospel is that those who trust in Christ will be delivered from sickness at some point. Um, heaven's a place of no more tears. So I just, anything I can say that validates mm. the Bible has something to say about what we're experiencing here. I remember you said when we're watching TV and whatnot, I, when Andrew was young, I'm going to say 10-ish, we were on the couch side by side watching football. Well, one of those commercials came, came on where they were using a woman's body to sell whatever the product mm -hmm. was. And I said, Andrew, how are they selling that car? He said, he, and you know, it was a really awkward conversation for a moment. Then we all, we both started laughing. I said, what does she have to do with that car? Mm -hmm. And just trying to talk about um, whatever, like you said, Beth, whatever is available there, what they are experiencing. So, Yeah, asking questions is a great, that's, that's a great example. One of the things, my, um, and one of the, in, in regards to especially little kids, which mine are, you know, nine, six, and three, one of the things my mother-in-law used to say all the time is, um, uh, "Don't just be their, don't merely be their disciplinarian, be their coach, and don't just tell them what not to do, tell them what to do." Mm. And so, why? And and why would even be an next yeah. step, right? Like, why yeah. would you do that? But they need to be told and taught what to do. So don't leave that out when they do something, or say something that's off. Mm -hmm. Don't just say, "Don't do that." Like, you need right. to tell them and do this, and you know, correct the the behavior and then get them going down the right, down the right path. I, uh, this whole worldview issue, I continue to try to shape my kids' worldview. And my kids have some differing opinions from me on certain things. Um, but I did buy them all a copy of a book over Christmas. Uh, it's a, it's a terrific book on Christian worldview. It's not explicitly Christian, uh, but the, the title of it's The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions 
and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. And it's, it's all about trigger warnings and how they're actually subtly telling our children that they, they cannot persevere, they cannot endure, that they are weak. And so everything has to be created safe for them. Rather than communicating to our children that, no, you're mentally strong Mm -hmm. and you can interact with weighty ideas and discern and identify the truth. So, again, it's the coddling of the American mind. Um, I sent a text to a a local college president and said this should be on the the must-read list for every college freshman. It's it's a terrific book. I've been... um just lately thinking a lot about how much um, some of our, like, um, how much we, like, our biases and, dis- like, things that we have kind of settled in our mind can easily just, like, I had a, one of our kids ask the other day, well, what do we believe or what do we think? And it was like, no, what do you think, man? Like, you can kind of just, um, without having a lot of times kids are just looking for what is the the answer rather than self-discovery and figuring it out. And, and sometimes that can be dangerous because you want your kids to believe absolutely everything about, um, you know, a pol- politics or your thoughts on, you know, different big issues. It can be, you can feel a kind of a risk of letting them sort of discover and engage with that. But, um, I, I've realized how, um, Sometimes our thoughts and biases can just rob our kids of the opportunity to actually think through something and then own it, having discovered it for themselves and what they they believe. And I mean, clearly there's like boundaries you want to put and discussions you want to help, help guide. But as they get older, I feel like there's more and more opportunities for them to think through things. You know, I don't need to tell my kids what to think about when they're 17, you know, some, some stuff that's going on in their lives that they're interacting with them. Yeah, sure. I can, I can coach and I can give them my two cents, but helping them come to a place where, you know, they wrestled with it and decided on it and things like that. It's, it feels kind of risky, but, um, I just, it's so important, you know, even the things like telling when you were saying, Matt, like when you're, when they're really young, telling your kids, you know, why to do it a certain way, you know, but when they're when they're older, you know that can almost you can almost just like trap them in. Well, we do it this way because this way, and it's like they're actually not going to believe that and own it because they're they can see other options, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, we we tried to cultivate conversation. Um, it, that's I think it's hard to do. Um, it. Um, to cultivate real dialogue. John, I think that's great that you say, I don't know what we think. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, um, cause if I, if I tell them what I think, you're going to, how it. I yeah. got to my conclusion yeah. without them actually get engaging with it themselves, they aren't necessarily owning it, owning it. Yeah. And then they're going to get yeah. into a situation where they either have to argue it or defend it or, and you have to teach them how to survive without their parents. Right. Oh, That's 100%. One of our main goals as parents yeah. is to get, <laughs> right. you know, send them off without needing us. Right. Right. All right. Let's, uh, we got a real quick question for the next one. Do you think the speed of the vaccines being discovered is by God's kindness to us? I do. Sure. Why not? I think every good gift comes down from the Father of Lights, James 117. I think anything that's going well is a, is a reflection of the goodness of God, and um, and I'm thankful for it. it. Theologians call it general revelation, uh, meaning that things like it raining um, on everybody, it, meaning rain being it, uh, pr- produces fruit, brings the water, the nourishment that we need. So God is is good to the entire globe in many respects, and and this could be just one of them. Um, providing, I it, let's take it as an answer to prayer. Why not? Yeah. What do y'all think? Yeah, sure. If it works. Yep. I mean, if it's successful, mm-hmm. sure. I would say that just the result of it is going to determine if it, it's goodness, don't you think? Yeah, I wasn't. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, think I was the, assuming I think it works. The assumption is that, <laughs> yeah, right, the assumption that we're okay. Is if it works, then <laughs> right. it's good. Right. That's a good point. All right. Uh, let's go to the next question. 
Do you think it's really helpful to speculate on why Jesus didn't answer a question directly? Isn't that building an argument from silence, which will be really weak? It's a great question. So I spent a, a lot of time um, um, positing possibilities about why Jesus didn't give a specific number when asked how many will be saved. And, and I did my best to say that the three reasons I came up with, the three possibilities, I find comforting because they could be motivated by his kindness. And Jesus being the good shepherd, everything that he does is out of kindness. Even when he rebukes somebody, um, it's out of kindness, it's out of goodness, it's, it's in their best interest. So I, I, I would agree it could be risky um, to spend a lot of time uh, it, and it, there is an element in which I'm building an argument from silence. In other words, there's no explicit reason given why he doesn't answer it, and I'm giving a reasoned guess at it. Um, so an argument from silence isn't, isn't the strongest ground to stand on, but I think there's some value in it. Uh, and I think there's value in it in this particular situation because people comment all the time on how Jesus... Uh, didn't answer some questions more directly. I mean, people are often, he would answer questions with questions, or he, he would refuse to answer questions altogether. Um, and so people are often quizzing on, now, why did Jesus respond this way? And, and I thought I would dig into that a little bit. I, I don't think that you ever said, this is the point of the passage. Correct. I mean, I think actually in one of the services, you actually said, Hey, as an aside here, or maybe it was in the video, I don't remember, but I think it would have been dangerous for you to make the central part of your teaching on the text. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus didn't answer this question because he was being kind to us in that he didn't know the number, only God knew that. I'm just picking yeah. one of your four right, right. things. Because, I mean, that's totally a, an argument out of silence. Right. To offer four... I think you offered possible. four possible, yeah, four possible kinds of things that reasons why Jesus, because it's obvious he dodged it. Yeah. He dodged it in its detail. He dodged it. Yeah. Overall, he didn't. He, he answered it in, a, in a, a different way, but in the detail of the question, he, he dodged. So I definitely don't think there's a, that you just, you know, were needed to fill a few more minutes. So why not take a stab at this while I'm at it? You know what I mean? Like there was a, um, a, a purpose and, yeah, a, and, I just, and I a find, reasonable risk. I find myself thinking a lot about how Jesus responds to people and why he might have responded that way, trying to, to get to know him better. And so I, I, it's a reflection of, you know, kind of my effort, my hermeneutic, just trying to interpret yeah. the text, apply mm -hmm. the text. Well, we don't have really good perceptions of people who do this often, a.k.a. politicians, right? Yeah, like this is, right. this is like the quintessential example of what politicians usually do when someone asks them a very direct question, you want to hear them give a direct answer and they totally, you know, so yeah. it's already in my mind, it's a negative yeah. uh, you know, connotation. You know what I mean? So it gets, gets me wondering like, why would God, yeah. What, what is in God's character that it's okay to do this? How, what, what's he thinking? What's, mm -hmm. What's he hope to accomplish? Right. Well, it's in the it's in in my opinion, it's in the same line of thinking that we often have had conversations about. Here's why is it in the Bible? Why is it in the Bible? <laughs> if if the answer is not in the Bible, that's it seems to me a reasonable to want to talk about it, right? Hmm. We we always I mean often when we come to a story or um an example or a parable or whatever. It's like, why was this one included? It seems so difficult right. to engage with or, or whatever. And you're like, we, you know, there's limited ink, <laughs> there's limited paper. There were limited people that knew and understood the language to write these things down. You know, why did Luke take the time to pick this one? Why this thing? It, so it's I, a part of the wrestle we need. I, to do, I think right? it's part of yeah. the wrestling is, you know, um, well, why didn't Luke record? And it, maybe Jesus did answer it, and he just decided not to include. I don't think that's true, but um, anyway. I, I, I just looked up Luke chapter 20. Jesus is asked by the teachers of the law, um, 
by what authority he does the things that he does. He says, um, I'll ask you one question, and if you can answer it, then I'll answer your question. That type of response, and he gives them the stumper question, was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? And they refuse to answer it. Right. It's, yeah, I just find his posture and response, and clearly he knows more than we know when we go to answer questions. He can see people's motives in yeah. many situations. He's one or two, three steps ahead of them. And he discusses with people in a first century way of talking and understanding, right? Mm -hmm. so, so to answer a question with a question frustrates us in our modern context, right? Like we don't argue and discuss that way very often. In fact, we, we talk about things like the Socratic method. Like we have to go and back and say, like when we're teaching philosophy of yeah. Socrates and say, so you're not going to really understand this because he uses this unique kind of method to yeah. teach. We have to go back and explain mm -hmm. what that is where, you know, that's the same thing with in first century Israel. Yeah. Our method is really a download. The teacher stands up front and gives you info. You write it down and get ready for a test. Um, and so you're right that it was a different way for sure of teaching, interacting. And so, but I can appreciate that you addressed it at all, Kelly, because it would probably be tempting to just gloss over that and hope that nobody asked why you didn't address <laughs> it. But instead of saying, here's the answer, you're like, well, <laughs> Jesus never answered this. Here's maybe why, you know, at least you touched on yeah. it instead of leaving us to flounder. A little bit and wonder. I'm, I'm reading a lot of Dallas Willard lately. He's a spiritual form. It was a spiritual formation um, guru in the Protestant Christian vein. And um, he, he has this whole emphasis on Jesus being the most brilliant person who's ever lived. And so it, it struck me that when he does anything, it's always out of his goodness. And so I sp just spent some time trying to think, what about this? Not being specific in your answer but instead urging them that the door is narrow and closed at some point, what about that's good? And, and I think about any number of questions in this world that we're not going to get answers to. Mm. All types of really difficult questions that are complex, but we're finite in our understanding, so we can't get our minds or our hearts, in some situations, around the reality of what's going on. And I just saw in Jesus there saying, you you can either handle it or you're going to get distracted if I give you a total number. Let's keep the main thing the main thing here. The door's narrow to get into the kingdom. It will be closed at some point. Make sure you're not left outside. And I, I think that's merciful in some respects. Yeah. I liked the, the distinction you made because uh, with the narrow door being not, not the difficulty level of getting in, but that it's a narrow door. It's only Jesus. Yeah. Um, because I, I remember when I first, you know, started reading this passage, you know, years and years ago and thinking through it and that, like, that's immediately where my mind goes when I re just at face value. Difficulty. Read, yeah. It's yeah. just like the door is narrow. Oh, that means that it's really hard to get in. Yeah. That's just where I, yeah. I think a lot of people go logically. Or um, only a few people can pass through, which I thought you did a great mm, job of handling yeah. that saying, mm. it doesn't mean that only yeah. a limited, you know, right. few number can go through because it's narrow. It just means that there's only one way to go through it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was a great perspective on it because to your point, Matt, I think a lot of people think of difficulty and it can instill fear in people like, wait, what if I thought I was living for Jesus yeah. my whole life and then I show up and he says, I never knew you. Wrong door. Right. Wrong, Wrong door. door. And, and there's some other verses that can feed into that. Right. Like what you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. I never knew you or, yep. you know, like a lot of people who are going to be doing works in his name, in his and name aren't going to be in the kingdom, you know. Yeah. And so, so I, the next question is is about this. What do you say to people who are frustrated that Jesus is the only way to be saved? How do you answer their frustrations? The only way to be saved referring to the narrowness. The narrowness, the yeah. If, if they want a, a theology that all roads lead to heaven, it, it's just not a biblical theology. And if they're frustrated that Jesus is the only way to the Father, John 14, 6, as he says, then I, I ask them, basically, why does the exclusivity of this truth uniquely bother you when in every other area of our lives we are okay with truth being exclusive? Um, for example, if you buy a 
if you go into a t-shirt shop and you have a $20 bill and the t-shirt's 10 bucks and you give them your $20 bill and they give you back $5, no one walks out saying, well, all roads lead to heaven. His truth is that 10 from 20 is five. My truth is that 10 from 20 is 10. I should have gotten $10 back. Are y'all following me here? Oh, yeah. No one puts up with that in the mathematical realm. We're very specific. Tax time is coming. I'm trying to collect my children's tax stuff from all over the United States. I have to file taxes in California, Arkansas. My children do. I was say you don't. I know. <laughs> I knew John was going to bring this up. John, as a father, I try to help them. At what you point do they learn them. the hard lesson of taxes themselves? Yep. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So, Rip the Band-Aid off. So mathematical <laughs> truth is exclusive. Scientific truth, the second law of thermodynamics, we all understand it. We accept it, that things go from organized to disorganized. We, what goes up must come down just to keep it really simple. The historic truth, no one balks when, when we say things like Hitler was the ruler of Nazi Germany. No one says, well, Kelly, that's your truth. No, no. That's that's fact. So, the Hitler of Nazi, uh, the ruler of Nazi Germany, it's an exclusive truth claim to say it's Hitler, and no one is sociologically, in this day and age, civil rights. Let's just do this. All people are created equally. We're we're actually fighting for that truth. We're trying to uphold that truth, uh, and we're we're condemning people who say that no, not all people are created. I mean, we're calling that racist. Yeah, that's a great example. Why in the spiritual realm? Why I and I think it's because we've been deceived. The, of all places that truth is going to be uniquely de- exclusive, it will be in the spiritual realm. And for, I just because you see it played out in the physical world. I just I I. It's the it's God is spirit. Um, God is I just don't there's. There's no shifting shadow in Him. God is light. God, in other words, we it's going to. For some reason, we 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 equivocate here, and there's there's no reason to. And I I don't know. Yeah, because one of the places where a lot of Christians just get stumped, or they get emotionally unable to, you know, unable to to react and to respond, is when they get attacked on the exclusivity of Christianity. And do you mean to tell me that all of the other people in the world, seven billion people, or whatever? Uh, who believe other things that they're not going to enter into heaven mm-hmm. because they believe, you know, that and, and Christianity is the only one that says that, and that's it's not the truth. Number one, right? Like other religions have very have exclusive, exclusive truth claims, claims right? <laughs> but that's one of the places where you know a lot of Christians will just kind of stop responding and just kind of stop the conversation, and yeah. you know that's a place that. Well, at that point, I bring up tough. The- at that point, I bring up the inclusivity of Christianity, and it's uniquely inclusive. It is true that the door is narrow. It's one man has made the only way to the Father. So it's very narrow. But unlike all other religions in the world, Christianity will include everybody, regardless of their morality. Whereas Islam is going to exclude you based on your morality. It doesn't matter if you're moral, immoral, where you fall on the spectrum. In fact, I'll tell a parable, Jesus will, and we'll look at it this Sunday, about the inclusive nature of the gospel. Whereas Hinduism and Buddhism, they're going to exclude uh, anybody who, you know, you're stuck in reincarnation. You you can't ex- escape the, the karmic cycle of rebirth unless you have a particular righteousness. Um, and then, you, then and only then can you enter nirvana. So, it's, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam, they all have exclusive truth claims. What they lack is an inclusivity. Mm. The door is narrow in Christianity. You can only enter through faith in Jesus, one man, but anybody can enter it. Anybody. And I'll give you a real world example. In, in Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam, they have answers to this question. Um, but again, every all along the spectrum of morality, anybody who wants to come to the Father can do so. Uh, any, anybody of any intellectual ability, any race, and that's not the case in uh, India. From any place as well. Yeah, any race, any people. Um, so, you know, Islam, 
to read an authoritative Quran, a Quran that's um, the word, actually the word of God as they understand it, it has to be in Arabic. I, I, this is one indication of the inclusivity of Christianity. We're doing our best to translate the Bible and God's word, his message of salvation, into as many languages as possible. It's, it's not limited to. I think, I don't think you're doing this, but I, it is, um, it's, um, I don't want to undersell it because it, it's the number one sticking spot for anybody that I talk to about Christianity is the exclusivity of Christ. Yeah. It, it, it is the, when, when for people who, who have an understanding of, of Christianity, they, yeah. the, the difficulty is that why would a loving God send some to hell and mm-hmm. some to heaven? Now I, I'm very simplifying the argument, yeah. but for a lot of folks, they look at something, uh, when they look at the lives of people and they say, why, but they're, they're, they know God, they believe in God, they're loving and they're trusting him and they, you know, they, they even pray, but they don't buy into Jesus being the son of God and the only way to salvation. I, I run into that. I mean, I have somebody really, really close in my life that's stuck in that spot, you know, and that it's, there's, there's books written on it, uh, on the, on the side of Christ isn't exclusive, you know, you pointed out Oprah Winfrey on um, Sunday. I mean, that theology is broad, wide, and largely accepted. Yeah. And yeah, it, sure. e- even in Protestant Christian churches in some. Well, and for where, anyone I mean, who's had, listening who didn't hear that, why don't you reiterate? Uh, yeah, it was just... It, Oprah quote. Yeah, Oprah. She said, she said the mistake that people make is to think there's only one way to God. And, and she, she went on, I mean, you can Google it, you know, she talked about kind of a wheel with multiple spokes that lead to the hub in the center, and that hub is God, and some people are going to choose the Jesus spoke, and some people are going to choose other spokes that get to God in the, in the center. And there's, I mean, don't kid ourselves, there's Christians who say, this is the path I've chosen, and I'm okay with you choosing your path, we'll, we'll end up in the same place at the end. I mean sure. that there there's um, that's not abnormal no, for agree. for people to to kind of think that way. Like, oh, I'm, I mean, I'm really glad Kelly that you've chose. Like, Jesus is awesome. Look what he's done in your life. Someone like, said it you, to me just last week. Yeah, you you totally changed. I'm yeah. so glad. Yeah. Well, do you want a little? You want to understand this? No, I've got my own got path. My own I don't stuff. need any. I'm so glad it's working for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's that, that's difficult <laughs> evangelism. I mean that. To me, it points back to the the only the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so working in and through that person's life and conversations you may have with them to bring them to an understanding of who God is. When someone comes to me with saying, "I I just can't take the exclusivity of Christ," I do talk about the inclusivity. Anybody Mm -hmm. can come, and that's unique, um, regardless of uh, intellectual ability or moral um, um, performance, Mm -hmm. whatever. And, and that usually doesn't get them over the hurdle. They appreciate it. <laughs> right. or get them over. The, the next thing I say is f- for them to say that there cannot be any exclusive truth claim that all roads should lead to heaven is in itself exclusive. exclusive. That they have made their own narrow way yeah. by saying that all ways must lead to heaven. So don't be fooled, Oprah Winfrey, when she says, she's, when she says that there can't be only one way, she's saying something, she's making an exclusive truth claim. She's excluding yeah. some facts. She's saying her way is the only way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what, and then, and then there's a discussion, oh, well, I hadn't, okay, I see what you're saying. Um, and then if you, what, what we come, what we're left with is, a discussion of which um, view is a most accurate solution for what we're facing as humanity. Is it is it most accurate? Is it most helpful to say that? Well, all right. So, truth does in fact have to be exclusive. Oprah Winfrey is exclusive, and Jesus is exclusive. We just need to figure out who's right. I think that is what we're up against here. We need to figure out what exclusive truth claim we like, what we believe is really bringing life. 
And so when I walk into a shop and buy a T-shirt for 10 bucks and give them a 20 and get five back, that's not life to me. I just got robbed. So I, we need to find what's life. We need to find what's true. And, and therein, some real searching can take place, I think. We can, we can wrestle with that. Well, why is it, do you think that um, Christianity has such a bullseye on it for what we're talking about being exclusive when, in truth, like we just talked about, <laughs> all major world religions have a one-way street to God, right? That's a great I, question. Like, but but you never talk about any of the other major religions as being exclusive. In fact, I would probably say, it's just trying to remember my mindset, like in college and, and growing up and coming of age and all that. Like, um, I would have I would put all the other major world religions as very in- inclusive, even yeah, though I didn't we, know anything about them. Yeah, we haven't that, drilled that's down. Perception of it. I, my sense is popular suburban American culture of the 21st century just hasn't been exposed to enough of the truth claims of these other world religions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to teach a world religions class. That, is so, there something that Christians say a lot? Is it? Is it? Oh, it's John 14 6. It's I am the way. No, no one comes. I mean, that's going to raise people's ire. Yeah. Well, in in uh, you know a heavy. Value in Christianity, in um, sort of our ilk of Christianity. <laughs> I mean, true, true Christianity. Those who believe in Jesus as the Son of God and the only way. Everything that we've been talking about mm-hmm. that Kelly covered in his, in his sermon. You can't. In order to do that, you cannot. You you can't discount any of the teachings of Jesus. So as soon as you were to say, "Well, I believe." this much of Jesus, like all the care for the poor and all that kind of stuff, then you've made him not the, not true, not, not authoritative, not worth following. You know what I mean? So you, you can't have some of Jesus and not all of Jesus would be a central tenet to the Christian faith. And many want to say, well, Jesus's moral teachings were great, but he wasn't truly the son of God. Well, that would make him a liar or it makes him a lunatic you got to pick which one, or he's actually is Jesus, the Son of God. The Christian faith would say, it, we actually believe everything he did and everything he said, and we've given our whole lives to him, and we struggle doing that every single day. But we can't just take away the hard stuff that Jesus teaches in order to make it more palatable for the masses, or else we've made him a lunatic or a liar. Right. I mean, there is a huge strain within Christianity and a historic strain that does just that. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, if you if you visit his home, Monticello, Monticello, Monticello. in Virginia, there's a Bible there that he redacted. He he took scissors to it and cut out the parts that he didn't think were Jesus's words. And so, you know, Jefferson was not an Orthodox Christian. And there there are a lot of churches in our county that. are recognized historically as Christian churches, but as John points out, they're not orthodox, historically orthodox anymore. So my argument actually with an Oprah Winfrey type scenario would be to say, you have to remove the Jesus spoke because I'm not actually going to that God because Jesus actually, actually said, I like, we're not, we're not on the wheel anymore. We're not an option. We're not an option anymore to get to that. According to what Jesus said. Yeah. According, like if we're actually on the Jesus spoke to the center of the hub, that's the only spoke that can be on the wheel. According to what Jesus said, there is no opportunity for another spoke to get to God. It is only him. So you have to actually say, sure, if you want to believe that all those other religions lead you to God, that's fine. We're not in that conversation. Which really unnerves people because totally. at that point well, they realize that discounts the golden rule. Yes. I mean, and all the ethics of Jesus are lost at that point. If you, if you take him off the table as a good teacher because he said something as crazy as I'm the only way to the Father, you've just eviscerated most of the historic Western ethics that our, our world is founded on, right. all of Europe in the last you know, two, cent, uh, two millennia. Right. And you're, to your point, uh, you... This for a long time, we get fired up about it. But you talked about, you know, Oprah's style, or Oprah's uh, theology is an actual truth claim in and of itself. So, which truth can't claim are you going to buy into, right? Right, right? Well, it comes down to which one affects me, mm-hmm. and which one affects the most people. Mm-hmm. Well, Christianity's claim in a person's mind—I'm I'm arguing in a de- you know devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. 
would harm more people than Oprah's. In their understanding. In their understanding. Yeah, in popular understanding. In their popular understanding. They, like the they would say it's less exclusive. Right. Okay. Right. Well, let's just exclude Jesus. So and anybody that thinks he's telling the truth. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're seeing that all over the place but, in culture. But yeah. in to, to your example of the of the twenty dollar bill to the five, yeah. people that do that harm more people than those that just do what we can all understand is clear mathematics. Yes. So you're right, but it's um, it, it you are picking one over the other. But people do that all the time by choosing which one doesn't affect them poorly. So it's or like, the most people poorly. Right. So it's like her, her uh, that that mindset is the best one because the most people benefit. Because totally a question, a, a good question to ask her or anybody else who's believing that is, okay, well, what about someone who's just on the wheel, but they don't have a spoke? Exactly. Well, and then are the, they just out? Yes. There's, there's no path. For and them? that's their choice. What, what about the people who say, I don't want God, but then what about the people who say, how could you possibly know? Right. Is there half spoke? Is there, <laughs> how does, I mean, it starts to break down the it more totally questions break, that you it ask. It ultimately breaks down. It ultimately comes down to the fact that we, we do choose some sort of ultimate truth claim. Yeah, some everybody's yes. making exclusive truth claims right. when it comes to spiritual matters. Exactly. One of my favorite examples is one that Keller gave when he's talking about the old um, example, the proverb with not the biblical, but about the, that's uh, um, not proverb, but the, about the elephant, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and one person is is um, holding the, the trunk and saying, oh, they have elephant. their eyes closed. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The elephant it, must be like this, it. and the yeah. other person yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. has a tusk or something, and it's like, yeah. oh, the elephant must be like this, and the other person has another part of the elephant. Oh, the elephant must be like this, but in truth, the elephant is, you know, is different than all three, and that's that's a good analogy for religion, but it presupposes that there is one person who knows what the entire elephant looks like. Right. So how did that happen? Like that's right. So the, it's the, the truth claim that that person is making. It's a it's a great exercise in that we can see only glimpses of the truth, which is true. Paul said himself, "We see through a glass darkly; it's sure. veiled for us." Yeah. But someone knows that it's an elephant that each of these folks are describing. That's yes. your point. Yes. Someone sees the point. whole yes. of the story by which they can tell that we're only say, seeing fractions or yes. experiencing and fractions. so that person is making their truth. Yes. Know, they're making them God. They're making yeah. them, yeah. Good stuff today, guys. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Prophecy.